leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Last month, Atsuka Pharmaceuticals and Proteus Digital Health won U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval for what's being held as the first digital pill. Abilify MySite, a drug-device combination that marries Atsuka's Abilify, used to treat schizophrenia, with Proteus's ingestible sensor, wearable sensor, and smartphone app intended to monitor and improve compliance. We spoke to George Savage, Chief Medical Officer of Proteus, about the technology, other potential uses, and how it may help address the quality and cost of healthcare. George, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about the approval last month of the first digital pill, Billify My Site how the technology works, and, and what the implications are for this to improve outcomes for patients and reduce the cost of healthcare. Perhaps, though, we can start with the technology itself. H- how does it work? Okay. Well, the core innovation here is uh, the world's smallest medical device. It's uh, called an ingestible sensor. It's made out of uh, items from your diet. Uh, it's about the size of a grain of sand and effectively made out of sand, coated with uh, two essential dietary minerals. And when these two minerals get wet in your stomach, uh, it activates the device and it sends its ID code uh, through your body, not, not a radio signal at all, but conductively like a digital heartbeat to a Band-Aid that we also make. And this uh, smart patch, as we call it, is listening for the ID codes of the medicines you've swallowed uh, and it's also measuring your activity, your heart rate, and other biophysical parameters. And then whenever you're near your phone, uh, it will connect to your phone and upload the data in a secure way. Uh, and then the uh, data can be forwarded onto the cloud to a personal health record uh, the patient controls. And then the patient can elect to share this information with, say, a healthcare provider or a family member. And is that grain of sand, that sensor at all programmable, or does it just detect kind of an on-off state? It is programmable at the factory with a unique number. So every one of these has its own uh, serial number or passport number or driver's license number, you know, the the kind of unique identifying information we're familiar with. And that means that if you swallow, say, three or four pills or medicines at a time, uh, we're able to um, figure out what it is you've swallowed. So is essentially what it's doing is tracking how the body metabolizes what's ingested? 
Um, the main uh, function is to record the fact of ingestion. So it gives you the timing and the degree, what, what you've taken, how much of it, and exactly when. Uh, and then what happens chemically after that depends on the, on the medicines. So the patch that reads the center is, is worn on the body. I, I take it this is also able to gather other bio data from, from the patient that's wearing it. What data does that gather and what value does that bring to it? Sure. The, the patch has a number of uh, physical sensors on board, a three-axis accelerometer, for instance, uh, biopotential amplifier. So I'm able to get heart rate uh, from that, heart rate variability, uh, your body angle, uh, your activity level, so you can figure out if the patient is resting or being very active or not. Also, it tells me about the skin impedance, which is a fancy word for the electrical c connection of the patch to the body. Uh, for the patch to be able to hear uh, ingested digital medicines, it has to be well connected to your skin, and so that's sort of a quality check. It can also report on temperature uh, out there at the skin housing. And all of these data uh, can be used uh, in combination with information about medication dosing to provide feedback to the physician. And then, of course, there are other uh, technologies that patients use at home uh, that we do not make, but that uh, can also be factored in. So if you're a diabetic and are using a glucometer, those data could be associated and looked at in the context of how you're taking your oral uh, uh, anti-diabetic medicine. So the other component of this is an app that resides on a, a tablet or a cell phone. What does the app do, and is it intended for doctors or patients or both? Yeah, it, it, we call the uh, the current service offering wrapped around this the Discover offering, and the idea is to uh, help, first of all, the patient discover how to take their medicines uh, the right way, provide feedback on, on what you're doing and how to do a better job at it. And then uh, if you elect to share the data with your physician, which most patients do, then when you see your doctor, together you can look at objective data as to how the medicines are being taken. And, and this has proven to be very helpful uh, in uh, working with physicians to get to the right diagnosis, titrate to the right dose of the right medicine. Uh, so, for instance, uh, if, if a patient's not responding to therapy but is actually really highly adherent, the problem isn't patient medicine taking. The problem is, uh, of course, at the medical side in terms of diagnosis and, and treatment. Your partner, Otsapku, and you want to prove for Abilify my site, which is considered a drug device combination that includes the ingestible sensor, the, the MySite patch, and, and the MySite app. This is addressing two issues in the case of Abilify compliance, which you've talked about, and, and dosing. I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about both of those as, as a problem and, and why it's important to, to bring technology like this to bear on addressing them. Sure. Um, well, there's just an enormous unmet medical need in uh, adherence generally for chronic illness, but particularly in the setting of serious mental illness. And in fact, uh, parenthetically, it was FDA itself that suggested this as the ideal first application for our technology, and that led to our partnership um, over time with Otsuka Pharmaceuticals, and, and now, fortunately, this new option uh, just approved for patients suffering from these conditions. Because while it's very challenging for any of us to take our medicines reliably, 
if you think about uh, the setting of serious mental illness, it can even be more significant as a challenge. And uh, in some instances, patients may uh, lose the self-awareness uh, that they need to take their medicines if they forget to take their medicines a few times. And so it can become self-reinforcing. And what we really all want to avoid in the cases of, say, schizophrenia is another uh, decompensation for a patient who's previously been hospitalized and might have to go back. Um, you know, this, this is a kind of illness that is characterized by a stair-step style of decline where uh, repeated psychotic episodes lead to a poor long-term prognosis. And so ideally, what would be best for a patient and for everybody else is um, uh, once we know you have the illness, control that successfully with medication so you can go on living a normal life and not be re-hospitalized ever again. Can this be used with a biologic as well? Um, yes, the uh, the communications technology certainly can. This in-body conductive communication methodology uh, from whatever kind of medication to the patch uh, is something that is adaptable to any form of administration. We have uh, focused our technology thus far in terms of commercialization on the oral route of administration, so that is tablets and capsules. Uh, not injectables, and most biologics, of course, are in that latter category, so we're not yet uh, commercializing that. It's not the way the technology is being used, but can this be used to help validate the authenticity of medications where counterfeit and, and other issues become uh, a concern? You know, that that's a very astute observation. Uh, it absolutely can. Uh, one of the things we do at the factory to check um, the ingestible sensor as the machine is making pills is we have what we call a wireless interrogator, and that is at very close range, within a couple millimeters, so right on top of it, you can capacitively couple energy into the uh, sensor non-destructively and read out the serial number and prove that, you know, it's all built appropriately and, and it has the right number and everything is good. Uh, you can see how that could be applied to supply chain integrity, and indeed, one of our... Um, looks down the road in terms of being excited about is this potential to help address the counterfeit epidemic, which is primarily a problem in the developing economies in the world where uh, people, bizarrely enough, it's hard to even imagine, but they create appearance fakes of medicines that are either made out of inert substances or even harmful chemicals. And so you have this situation where many uh, often poor people are spending uh, money that they can ill afford uh, to spend on fake therapies or therapies that uh, actually are harmful. And would this be a, a cost-effective application for the technology? Is it, is it inexpensive enough to apply that way? Well, I, the real excitement is that that's a goal that we believe we can get to. Um, one of the really cool things about this technology is it's semiconductor-based. And semiconductor-based um, technologies are very responsive to scale economies. So the more of these I make, the cheaper it gets. Uh, just look at anything in our lives uh, that run on electronics, um, uh, from our cell phone uh, chips to computers to uh, flat-screen TVs. And the more of them that are sold, the cheaper they get. So what starts out being relatively pricey can, over time, be inexpensive enough to be everywhere. And while we're quite a ways away from those kind of volumes, we're, we're hopeful that we'll get there. So I think of Proteus as a, a platform technology where your strategy is to partner with, with drug makers. Do you see the greatest value being in bringing the technology to already approved drugs that may extend their patents and provide 
faster approvals or incorporating them into new therapeutics? You know, we see value in both applications, but I think the biggest bang for the buck right now, as we see it, is applying it to established medicine. If you think about uh, the world's uh, available therapies right now, uh, we live in an environment where only half of patients take their medicines at all correctly. And the tradition in medicine has been to sort of uh, implicitly blame the patient, you know, uh, along the lines of, if you really wanted to get well, you'd listen to me. Well, it's not that simple. This seems to be a common cognitive defect um, uh, that all humans have. Uh, uh, in fact, the World Health Organization last decade in 2003 issued a report that was uh, stunning in that it showed the same statistics applying all around the world, uh, whatever sort of culture you're from and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that it's roughly half of patients don't take their meds right. What this means is that the most significant uh, improvement in public health I could imagine uh, would be to apply this to the existing inventory of medication because um, uh, I would immediately have available the other half of the potential therapeutic benefit of all of these established therapies simply by adding this technology. And so we think that this could be a very positive uh, public health benefit for the world. And then, of course, you can use the technology to do a better job on clinical trials and what have you. But uh, we see that as a second-order sort of thing to, to work on. It's a technology that seems to be indication agnostic. Are there disease areas or indications you think where it would have the greatest value? Yeah, you're, you're right in the sense that we think this is a platform. We think over time it would make sense to make all drugs digital or smart. Uh, there's really no disadvantage that we see to any of that. But we do face this uh, challenge of where do you start and how do you make the most progress the most quickly. So we see um, uh, three areas where we're really focusing. Uh, one is in infectious disease. We have a lot of work going on in hepatitis C. Uh, there are three NIH-funded trials underway right now in HIV therapy. Uh, we recently concluded a, a study with um, a researcher at UCSD uh, leading that in tuberculosis management. So that's one area. Another area potentially is oncology, where many uh, patients are being moved from in-hospital or in-clinic uh, intravenous drugs to new oral agents that have a lot of convenience going for them for the patient and potentially lower cost. But now the patient is responsible for taking the drug, and we wind up with the same sort of dynamics potentially as um, as as in all other oral drug therapy. The third third area is in the area of cardiometabolic disease. Uh, this is hypertension in the setting of diabetes. Uh, last summer, we published a randomized control trial pilot trial demonstrating um, superiority of um, uh, digital medicine therapy versus usual care in patients who have failed multiple medicines and are out of control with respect to their type 2 diabetes and their blood pressure. So these are three areas that we're very focused on. We're also interested potentially in um, work we might be able to do uh, to combat the opioid epidemic. Uh, I testified at the uh, Presidential Commission on uh, the opioid crisis a couple of months ago, and uh, there seems to be a fair amount of interest in these technologies helping to appropriately manage uh, opioid use by patients who need these powerful pain uh, relievers and, and helping them to ensure that they're using it uh, the right way and then get off it. And I take it in that last example, the idea would be to identify a patient that's overusing the drug? 
Well, no, uh, that's less less the issue and more the issue uh, to respond to this statistic that 80% of opioid addicts begin with a prescription. And uh, a lot of times um, patients are prescribed too much in the way of drug. Uh, they're not really informed on how to use the drugs the right way and they use them incorrectly and then wind up dependent. And of course, that's a, uh, a, a not a super common event, but it's much more common than we would like. And so one approach that would be of interest would be to appropriately monitor patients taking opioids acutely and chronically to ensure that they use the drugs in exactly the right way so you don't wait too long between opioid doses. Paradoxically, some patients try to avoid taking pain meds, and then when they finally are in such terrible pain they need to, they wind up taking a lot more than they otherwise would, and this sort of boomerang effect can lead to uh, some of the complications we described. So uh, being able to have healthcare professionals aware of your dosing and help you use it the right way and then taper your use the way you would corticosteroids or many other powerful drugs that you want to take and that have real benefit but that you want to get off of. There's been much talk about digital technologies being a way to make healthcare more patient-centric, empower the patient more, provide better information to doctors so they can both make better decisions about treatments, but also intervene earlier and thereby bend the cost curve of healthcare. How do you see your technology changing healthcare? I mean, is it this magic pill, as it were, to do all those things? Well, we, um, you know, I certainly resonate with everything you've described. And I think that uh, Proteus can be an important part of what's a much bigger uh, transformation in society, much bigger than Proteus, and that is digital technology is transforming the world and the way people live their lives. Uh, we're all carrying smartphones around with us nowadays, and this has totally revolutionized how people socialize, how they play, how they work, uh, how you uh, invest, how you are entertained, uh, and it's going to transform medicine. And part of the excitement is the ability to personalize medical care through the intermediary of technology. If I think about the history of medicine, if we go back a couple hundred years in the 19th century, physicians were your friends. They were family friends and confidants. They knew all about you as an individual and your family situation, your economic situation, how to motivate you and how to comfort you and reassure you. That was all part of the program. The problem was that the technical limitations of the medical science of the day were such that there was often not a lot they could do about whatever disease was, was uh, really causing the problem. Today, we've sort of wound up in the reverse situation. The hospital and specialization has become so remarkably effective that many of us can expect to live a lot longer and survive acute illnesses that would otherwise be fatal. Uh, but our physicians often don't know anything about us. And um, the intermediary here of technology uh, can help repersonalize medicine so people can set up their uh, you know, motivational tools or the different apps that they need in their life exactly the way that works for them. And we can have the benefit of population-based science giving us the best drugs with individual-based digital tools to help us understand the individual relevance of, of the science and how to, how to make things work for ourselves and our families. George Savage, co-founder and chief medical officer of Proteus Digital Health. George, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. 
To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.